newspaper men meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people. Welcome to the Media Project, an inside look at media coverage of current events. I am Nat Rex Smith. I'm Judy Patrick, former editor of the Daily Gazette, and now I'm vice president for editorial development for the New York Press Association, filling in this week while Rex is away. Joining us today is investigative journalist and New Albany professor Rosemary Armeo. Barbara Lombardo, former editor of the Saratogian and adjunct professor at UAlbany, and WAMC news director Ian Pickus. Thank you all for being with us. Hello. 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 All right, first topic, let's wade into this media hornet's nest. Variety (laughs) has published a piece about former CNN boss Jeff Zucker and his alleged courting of Gulf sheiks and billionaires like Jeff Bezos and Lauren Powell Jobs to help him buy CNN. At the same time, Variety is facing intense backlash for the article, which is replete with anonymous sources, it's true. From the Zucker camp, they're complaining, but also from the Atlantic, which is criticized in the Variety piece for some of the facts it included in its explosive profile of Chris Lick a few months ago. That profile led to Lick being expelled. Um, Also being criticized by Puck editor John Kelly, who really took a beating in the Variety piece. So my questions are... When you get something like this, how do you decide what to believe? And at the end of the day, what's going to happen to CNN? Rosemary, where do you start when you get these? Yeah, I haven't read the the article, and I need to go back and do that because of all the controversy. I I thought we were done reading exposés of CNN after the Licked piece. It's very intriguing because this is not a beginning journalist, a freelance journalist. This is someone who is pretty respected, and there appear to be all kinds of red flags in that story. Repeatedly, the author was warned, no, that's not true. You have it wrong, starting with the very opening anecdote, which doesn't read correctly. And I'm reminded of the Rolling Stone piece on rape on a college campus where from the very beginning I read the first paragraph and said, No, you don't rape somebody on top of a broken glass. Yeah, it doesn't ring true. So how does that happen? How did it get past all the editors? And what's the motivation? What did that writer or Variety or anybody at Variety have against CNN or the targets of that piece? Why were they doing it? And all of that is unclear. It's tough to be second. I mean, the Atlantic piece was was the standard uh, for CNN reporting, and I think Atlantic probably has a better reputation for things like this than Variety does. Hard to go second and have it stand up, and uh, I think you said anonymous sourcing. To me, that just puts you in a terrible situation because uh, you're putting your trust in people you can't blame when things go south. As far as I can see from reading about this situation, we still need to find out how this happened. I don't think there's any question that this variety article was screwed up with untruths that should not have gotten into print in the first place. But what we don't know is how did it happen? Right, and one of the things we tell reporters when they first start is if you get the small details, like the initial anecdote, if you get that wrong, how are we supposed to believe the larger issues of the story, which is in fact that Zucker, the deposed head of of CNN, is trying to buy back the Mm -hmm. network. Is there any truth to that at all? And what's going to happen with CNN? Yeah, if you have him crying in an elevator, presumably that's on security footage somewhere. That should be, and I don't know what Variety's fact-checking process is, but typically for magazine articles like this, 
the fact-checking process is exhaustive, and it should be. Yeah, more so than for newspapers even, or for definitely more so than television. And so how this passed all that made me think somebody's got a motive here, an agenda, and I don't know what it is. Well, I believe that those things are in place for uh, a magazine like The Atlantic, but I don't really know what the standards are at Variety. Well, Variety is a respected magazine, and let's be honest, we all use anonymous sources once in a while, and there are some stories that are totally anonymous sources, and we do believe them. I think, in some respect, the credibility has to come from the institution itself, the, the media organization. But um, in this case, there were just it was just too full of anonymous sources. And it isn't just the anonymous sources. That's one issue, but the part where they were writing about the Atlantic author of the piece on Chris Licht and said only had, you know, very limited number of contacts with with Licht and made up stuff. And he himself answered back and said, that's not true. I was with him all this time. I have recordings of our interviews. Again, easily checkable, verifiable, and it was it appears to be ignored. It looked like the Rolling Stone fiasco all over to me. University of Virginia story, which was totally retracted. I mm -hmm. mean, that's a repertorial death sentence. It does make you wonder, was there a sense here on Variety's part that CNN is wounded right now, there's blood in the water, and this will be kind of just a, another sort of entry in, in a saga that's been covered by other outlets, uh, strength in numbers sort of idea that went into it? As much as I hate speculation, I would speculate on that because <laughs> what you said earlier, Ian, about Variety being second, so you had Atlantic's big story about CNN, and the people at Variety are saying, we've got to get something, let's get something, and they, oh, I've got something for us, okay, go get it, and they're so eager to do it that they're not doing good journalism. You know, one of the biggest, or one of the most strident sources of opposition on this came from Oliver Darcy, the CNN media correspondent, who wrote a great article mm -hmm. about this, but then I'm thinking to myself, well, he works for CNN, but typically, I mean, he hasn't shied away from calling foul when he sees it, even at his own company, so there's a lot going on there. I think we're just going to have to be patient to see whether really is trying to buy CNN. I don't think he's found the billions of dollars he's going to need to do that yet. Oh, that's going to make him cry. <laughs> In an elevator, maybe. <laughs> so let's switch topics. How much is a front page worth? Or better yet, how much is your credibility worth? Mm. I raise this issue because in Israel, the day after the Knesset passed a controversial law reigning in the authority of its high court, the front pages of four prominent Israeli newspapers were dominated by big black boxes. Images of new Israeli newsstands showing the front pages went viral, with most people assuming, incorrectly, that the black boxes were an editorial statement by the newspapers themselves. The boxes instead were paid ads by a protest group called the Israeli High Tech Protest. The ads read, a black day for Israeli democracy in small white text at the bottom of the page and in small text at the top was the word advertisement. So from a media perspective, the good thing I see here is that shows the power of the printed front page. <laughs> but that's about it. <laughs> what if those who supported the measure wanted to buy the front page? Or what about the fact that on a huge news day, why didn't the bulk of their front page contain real news? You know, I would defer to Barb Lombardo here, who had to decide what went on the front page. But there was a time where no advertising would go on the front page. I think that ship has obviously sailed. I'll just say from the perspective of someone who looks at the Associated Press wire all day and tries to figure out what to put on our airwaves here, the fact that the papers were blacked out made the wire, which is read around the world, and it didn't have the caveat that Judy just read saying it was a paid advertisement. 
So I think that's pretty dangerous. Well, it did have the caveat on the page itself. That if, you, said, if you read in, in the teeny. Well, most people in Israel uh, would do that. But I didn't. When we had to decide what was going to be on the front page and ads were going to start to be a presence on the front page, that was very troubling to me. Although in years gone by, way before our times, it was very typical for having ads in, on the front pages of newspapers, not taking up the whole page, but ads. So ads came back, uh, much to my chagrin, but they have normally been along the bottom of the page and they're clearly advertising. They're not disguised as news stories. This is different when you take the whole page and paste it with an advertisement. Um, it was so dramatic. I wish that it was an editorial comment. Yeah, wow, it was that, is, so that is incredible. That's incredible. And they were and they were all joining forces exactly. to have this editorial comment. Although that could be a problem if you don't agree with that editorial comment. But when I realized it was for sale, I just wanted to throw up. Okay, so I also decided what went on front page for a while, and I wanted to hate this. I wanted to come out and say, "Oh my God, this is a clear <laughs> violation." But I can't. I I think it was a, a brilliant move. It did get worldwide play which would not have otherwise and I think it was an editorial comment no they would not have sold this page to someone who supported it I think it was a stance against what's happening in Israel which really is a power grab and democracy canceling effort of so-called reform by the government and the newspaper took a strong stand against it and if they made money at it too I don't I don't think that was so but horrible they could have done that not being an ad it could have been the voice and should have been the voice of the newspaper that makes it an editorial well, comment this is a paid message being yeah. brought to you through the newspapers well we're always talking about how newspapers need new resources <laughs> they, they made money on this and made an editorial statement i just don't hate it as much as i felt like i should well what worried me is when do you say yes and when do you say no to that when you agree with them, when your editorial right, so. stance is what they did. So yeah, and why not? It's your front page, you can do whatever you want with it. Or you can make the argument, if it's a legal business, why can't I advertise the strip club or the marijuana sales? I mean, put that on the front page. Or why can't I advertise cigarettes or alcohol? You can. Right, but some papers don't do that. Or what if the guy running for mayor wants to buy a front page ad and run an article of his own making and make it look like a regular article. I mean, that's why you have editors there to kind of draw the line. I thought that the papers involved at least should have issued some sort of editorial statement explaining what they were doing and maybe explain that they do support the position. But, but what of the alternate position, people who wanted to buy an ad supporting the alternate position came forward and wanted to buy it? You say no. But they, you it's our business and we more. don't want them. You charge them more. You do say no for sure. <laughs> Or do you? Or Depends do, on the What if they wanted the advertising dollars? Sure, we'll run that front page. Well, and then and the third page, we're going to run a story about, you know, the new giraffe at the zoo. <laughs> I, I mean, and again, they didn't run any news on the front page that day. It's sort of like when the pink sheet would be on the front page of the Saratogian, the racing mm -hmm. news would be on the physical front page. And then when you open it up, that's where you, the you real get front page. the real news and the real mm -hmm. front page. Imagine if this was in the United States. Could we have a black front page if... Donald Trump gets the Republican nomination for president, a black day in America, or a big sunny happy face, a great day for America, depending on the newspapers. Can you imagine that? Makes me ill. I mean, you see it on TV. <laughs> yeah. uh, We're there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This does not sound shocking to me anymore as it would have if we had this conversation 10 years ago. We are partisan. And yes, the New York Times would have a black page and Breitbart would have the big happy face and we'd just like turn the page and read the rest of the paper.
So did any of you ever run a front page editorial in your time making those decisions? No, I never ran a front page editorial. I would put a column occasionally on the front page. We did, and I hope that I get asked back so that I can look up. (laughs) (laughs) It'll come to me as I'm leaving. We did do something, but it was so extraordinary that it warranted front page. In Virginia, I was not the editor, the top editor there. I was just an editor there. We ran a front page editorial when we ran the picture of the famous shot of bodies hanging from the bridge in Iraq. And there was some thought, as indeed it turned out it was. It was a, a young man who was from the Virginia Beach area, and that's how his parents found out about it. And so there had been, it was a huge photo. It was on the cover and everywhere, but in Virginia Beach, of course, highly sensitive. And we had discussions all day long on the ethics and, you know, the, the humanity of it. And our editor wrote a wonderful column about here's why we're doing it. You know, we know the problems here. And the family actually called and thanked him later when they when they found out it really was him. So did you find that the response to that was 50-50 or? No, no, no. It was overwhelmingly it? positive. And this is from a military community because sure. it was news and he had been abused. And it, w- it was a terrible photo. You know, he's being dragged. The soldier's body was being dragged through the street and people were taking pictures of him with their phone. It was awful. But it was news, and it was the reality of the war in Iraq, and people understood that because we explained it to them. Right. I just did, from my perspective, this front page is it's not a sacred space, but it's it's our most valuable piece of real estate when it comes to producing the news product and to give it away. I'd love to know how much they got paid for it because they gave a little piece of their soul away when they did that. I I so the amount, the number doesn't matter. I agree. They sold their soul just to sell the page. But also, I think it shows just the importance of the moment in in Israeli democracy, too. I mean, you wouldn't... We've seen coalition governments come and fall apart a hundred times in Israel. This this time is a, a different situation, obviously. And, and it'd also be interesting to find out whether the foreign newspapers knew each other were, they were doing, whether this was a coordinated effort. We have seen coordinated effort among newspapers and other media companies on, on important issues like uh, fighting drug abuse or something, but, but it's very rare. And, and they must have done it very quickly. And whether or not they each knew what the other was doing would be an interesting thing to know. Yeah, that's a good point. It, ta- it, di- it is diminished by having to identify it as an ad. And they did have to identify it as an ad because it was an ad. And again, <laughs> the not knowing the language, I didn't know that that's what it said until it was told to me that that's what it said. And when I saw it on Facebook or social or Instagram originally, I thought, oh, wow, this is really cool. They're doing it. It wasn't until another poster said, this is a paid ad. You all should know that I realized that um, the error of my... Yeah, we've had to do that in the um, print media, print and online, when there would be advertisers who were getting, who were savvy enough to start to realize that they wanted their advertising, their points of view to look like a news story as opposed to a Mm. more graphic oriented ad. And then the middle ground in between was, or the solution was to put that little type, just like it was in the Israeli newspapers, just say advertisement at the top. So people supposedly would see that and know you're reading an ad, you're not really reading a news story. Right. And you should use a different font yeah, or, or put yeah. it in a box. Do what you can to differentiate it. But the average reader or the average consumer of the product really isn't going to be able to distinguish the yeah. difference. And I, I have to say, I agreed with the message on the Israeli front pages. So that was delightful to see. But boy, slippery slope. So this is a little bit of old news by the time we get on the air, but let's talk about Twitter and Elon Musk. Is he trying to dismantle the social media network? Is he trying to destroy it? I mean, he renamed it X. He's trying to build this some sort of other kind of empire. 
I know, Rosemary, you're not on Twitter anymore. You've gone. Oh, the minute he, he bought it, I got off. So how are things on, what's the new one? Threads. Threads. They're doing well. A little uh, disorganized for my liking so far, I would say. It reminds me of the early days of Twitter. Yeah. People don't, they don't have a rhythm there yet. And there's, they don't have followers set up. There's not the tracks. People are not following. But lots of people have been on it because they want to get off of, of uh, Twitter. A lot of people still are on Twitter. He has still, he has not dismantled the idea that you can have an open Twitter in which they pour all their stuff in, including lots of right wings, increasingly right wing material or you can set up followers and you pick the people who you're going to follow and listen to it. So a lot of journalist friends are still on it because sources and other journalists are on it and they want that that continuation. But I don't get Elon Musk. He's long been fascinated with the letter X and historically X can stand for nothing or everything, which of course is his whole idea about his network that it will be everything. You can buy stuff here. You It'll be a combination of every social media we already have. But he's managed to alienate uh, customers, people who used to tweet. What do we call it now? X? Yeah, X now. <laughs> he's alienated those. He's alienated advertisers. The value of the company has plummeted since he bought it. How is that good business? This is a guy who everyone identified as a you know business genius. I've said this every time we've talked about it. I don't think any of the changes he's made have been positive. It's very puzzling to me. And mm -hmm. also, I think I'm about... Uh, Zuckerberg's exact age so I was around when Facebook started and it was uh, this incredible revolution and college students uh, I was one at the time had first access to it and then it broadened out and it made Facebook lame eventually very important everyone on earth is on it it's uh, it's vital but it it's not cool and Twitter is now not cool it's lame and I'm still using it but I'm not gonna call it X and I'm on there a lot less. Being lame, I'll admit that I'm <laughs> occasionally still looking at Twitter. Uh, I don't use it to post hardly ever any, anymore, And but I'll look at it to see what's um, Ian promoting on WAMC, <laughs> what's David Lombardo promoting for the Capitol Press Room, and, and other local news outlets primarily, or if I think something big in the news world is happening, I might look for it there, but not so much anymore. This is the tragedy of it in my mind. All, uh, you know, especially people like my peers, local news, spent a long time trying to build up a following and put something out there that was maybe worthwhile. And there's no replacement for that right now. And you still find yourself going on Twitter X to post and self-promote and get that traffic back. But I don't see that Threads is going to be a one-to-one -one replacement for what Twitter used to be. And... Uh, they've tried several other social media platforms to replace Twitter, and, and nothing has worked yet. You know, the New York Times did an analysis of what's happening on threads among the, some big posters. And so they followed people like Kim Kardashian and what she has been doing the last 15 days. And what they found were was they were still on Twitter, especially they were still on Instagram. They were doing a, a few posts on threads, but they weren't getting the traction, it, it appeared, mm -hmm. that they typically Interesting. So it's going to take a while. I'm still on Twitter because it's almost like the AP Newswire for me. Yeah. It, it gives you, it's not always reliable, but Elon Musk is just, he's off the wall sometimes. This week, uh, we had, or recently we had, uh, the 18-year-old son of LeBron James, Bronny James, had a suffering a cardiac arrest on the basketball court while he was practicing at his college. 
And Elon Musk tweets, we cannot ascribe everything to the vaccine, but by the same token, we cannot ascribe nothing. Myocarditis is a known side effect. The only question is whether it is rare or common. Totally, totally irresponsible tweet. And he got taken to task by... Not even as an attempt to find out, by the way, if he had been vaccinated or not. Right. Um, (laughs) Although LeBron James has made it, has been out there saying he believes in the vaccine and his family has been vaccinated. Uh, Kara Swisher, the the great podcaster from the New York Times, um, she uh, blasted him in a a follow-up tweet that says there's never... Someone else's terrible tragedy, a murder in San Francisco, a group of kids trapped, an older man getting hit with a hammer by a lunatic, that this bottomless pit of attention addiction does not find a heinous way to insert himself in. Frequently wrong, but never in doubt. Great put down, huh? Um, well, she is. Yeah, I don't want to get on her wrong side. <laughs> and then that raises the question. So why would I pay to have the X platform blue check mark, unlimited number of tweets, or TweetDeck, a tool that WAMC has used. These things are not worth it. And I just think his approach here has been a failure. I mean, he's got the money to play around with with X, and if it doesn't work out for him, he'll be okay. But uh, as an end user, it's puzzling. It worked okay. There were a lot of problems with Twitter. It was a cesspool. Things could get out of hand. But as a service, it was basically the same for a decade, and it worked really well. Uh, Now we're just finding reasons to change it out of boredom. X stands for wrong, incorrect. He is <laughs> screwing it up. He's screwing it up. And you're right, Ian, there is no reason to invest in it. I want to know where his new CEO is. She was supposed to take over from him. She's been silent or obedient to his whims. Right. Remember he was going to step aside? Remember yeah. that lie? Yeah, you, you, you follow it up tremendously and then call in a woman to try to fix it. <laughs> exactly. That's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I still I'm still on Twitter and I check it a few times a day, but it's not nearly as robust as it once was. There, key people have left, and um, you have to look a lot harder to find the nuggets of news that you're looking for. I think I'm getting mainly John Boy baseball highlights uh, at this point, which is you know I'll take that. <laughs> hey, what can the media do so it doesn't get hoodwinked by Donald Trump and his loyalists going forward? You know, there was a new pointer column this week that called um, former President Donald Trump not a genius but of the Einstein caliber but said he has he's a mastermind in media manipulation do you think that's true yes oh yeah absolutely both things yeah I used to tell you know when when we were covering it in class at the time he hacked cable news he did no question about it and and it worked and he took over social media as well his Twitter use when Twitter was Twitter uh, he ruled on that. He had more followers than just about anybody else, certainly other politicians. And he just dissed the regular, uh, the legacy, whatever our term for real media is these days, and went on Twitter. And we were and we were slave to it, actually. We, and we still are. We still it's are, yeah. Anything. He, he is charismatic is the word I think of, and people who don't like him object to that. But what he does is endlessly entertaining and intriguing and uh He's got and horrifying. Yes, and and we gravitate to that. He's extreme. He's hugely popular. There is, there's no you cannot not cover him. But fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I mean, what what can we do? I really don't have a good answer for this, and it's something we've thought about and talked about a lot. And I remember going back to the the COVID daily briefings where, you know, we were hearing advice about, you know, spraying bleach and that kind of thing, sunlight. 
Uh, eventually, <laughs> WAMC stopped airing those because they seemed to be a disservice to people who needed real information at a very dangerous time. But he's the front runner for the GOP nomination. Yeah. He has a coin flip's chance of being the next president, perhaps. I don't know how you cut him out of your coverage. You can't. Well, I think that cable news could be more selective about how much they covered, what they say about it, what their approach is. If you're just clicking on MSNBC and CNN, it's all Trump all the time, it seems to me. It's just overkill when they really they have nothing else to talk about, it feels, when there, when there are other things to talk about. Well, the, the other things they're talking about are impeaching Joe Biden or <laughs> pursuing Hunter Biden, which is also an effective way of corralling the news media and having them do what they want them to do. I just don't know. I mean, we hear complaints all the time. Anytime Trump's voice is played on this station, hey, uh, stop giving him attention. He's getting, he is a former president. He is winning and right now the Republican primary. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. We're not going to make the difference here. Come on, admit, admit it. Admit it. Don't you, when you go on, don't you look for the Trump stories? I do. What's he doing now? Being fooled by him would be like when he comes out. Is that being fooled? When he comes out on his truth social and says, I'm about to be indicted, it'll happen today, and we believe it without any other second source. Okay, that's the sort of stuff. He was but right about that one. He was he, right. He's right. Yeah, he, he is. He is a, a very good source of information about himself, and he has learned that if he gets out ahead of it, he gets to spin it, and that's frequently what we remember. I, he is a genius at it. Hey, we only have a few seconds left, but can we give a shout out to the movie Barbie in which love it. One of the Barbies is a journalist, a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. And she asks hard questions and she's beautiful in pink. Yeah, it's, it's nice to see that as one of the careers that the dream uh, career, a uh, dream career. Let's hope that a lot of young girls are going to the movie theater. Of course, in Barbie land, money doesn't matter. Let me point that out. <laughs> I'd like to see people of all genders going into journalism <laughs> and being well-respected and well-paid. And well-paid. And I'm like, in La La Land also. I would like to congratulate Greta Gerwig for accurately depicting the patriarchal podcast universe uh, that the Kens mm -hmm. built. Um, it was a very trenchant observation about people like Joe Rogan and many others. It's true. It's such a brilliant movie. Have you all seen it? No, it's not yet. Recommend it. Ah, well, that's all the time we have this week. Thanks to Rosemary, Barbara, and Ian. Thanks also to our producer, David Costina. I'm Judy Patrick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week on The Media Project. They organized a union to get a living wage. They joined with other actors upon a living stage. Now newspaper men are such interesting people. When they know they've got a people's fight to wage. The Media Project is a national production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. This week's projectors include Judy Patrick, former editor of the Daily Gazette and vice president for editorial development for the New York Press Association, Rosemary Armeo, investigative journalist and adjunct professor at the University at Albany, former editor of the Saratogi and an adjunct professor at the University at Albany, Barbara Lombardo, and WAMC News Director Ian Pickus. You can listen to The Media Project anytime at wamcpodcast.org or anywhere you get your podcast. I'm your producer, David Gistina. Thanks for listening. For readers and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, -a circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, -a advertising. Get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press.